dude, what about um that Liverpool Arsenal game? I'm I'm at the text you during that, but that that was a really good game. And then Arsenal midweek chokes chokes it away to West Ham. Yeah. Typical and typical Arsenal fashion. I think like at the beginning of the week, like obviously disappointing not to win at Anfield, but if you tell me from those two matches, Arsenal would only take a point, I'd, I would have signed up for that, you know, a hundred times out of a hundred. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good for Liverpool for now, but I do need, uh, you know, Arsenal, Villa, and Liverpool to keep getting points to keep Man City down. That'd be nice. Because they're going to, they're going to, they might not lose again, Man City, and then, you know, so it's just tough. No, exactly. But if if you look at it, halfway through the season, uh, Man City's in fourth with thirty-seven points. Liverpool's up up five on them. So I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think I think it's very doable that they don't win the league this year. Man City, that is. I hope so. But anyway, I I, I honestly, if I didn't like this movie so much, I'd be tempted to just talk about uh, soccer all night because because I'm really enjoying this season. Um, oh yeah, great great Premier League season for sure. But. We should yeah. talk about movies. <laughs> we should, yeah, let's get back to the point of the podcast. Yeah, as you know, I don't know how to start the podcast. So it'll either be some some quick check-ins on uh, the state of the Premier League here in, as New Year's dawns, or um, are actually our, Arsenal's playing, even though we're recording only a few days before, Arsenal's playing between now and when the episode comes out. So they might be back on top because Liverpool doesn't play until a few hours after this episode comes out. Uh, True. We'll see what happens. Anyway, one of those two teams will be in first. <laughs> or something along the lines of, welcome to Late to the Movies. My name is Ben Holt. And this is a podcast where my friends and I get to fill in our movie blind spots. Each week, we'll pick a film that either I or a guest hadn't seen before and really should have by now. This week, kicking off a new month um, that we are entitling Dumpuary Semicolon Battle of the Genres. I'll get into what that means in a second. Our first movie our combatant, our champion for the genre of comedy. It is 1996's, if we're counting when it actually came out in January, 1997's Waiting for Guffman. There's a lot of people in this movie that we haven't talked about before, but we got to hold our horses. We'll talk about it soon. Real quick, the theme of the month, a little bit, let's say, more conceptual, a little more abstract than just Christmas movies, which was last month. Um, have you ever heard the term dump months, dumpuary? Essentially, January is thought of as the worst time of the year to release movies. A lot of times, movies that were produced for maybe a lot of money, but the studio sees it and is like, actually, this is terrible. Let's let's just put it out in January and hope no one notices. Um, the big movies from December, they're still going strong, so you don't want to put your good movies out then. Um, to compete in, for blockbusters, and then also the movies that are going to be competing at the Golden Globes, which are less than a week away when this episode comes out at the uh, in a couple months. The uh, the Oscars, the people who are interested in that, they have enough to watch with that stuff. So so you don't put anything that you want to make money out in January. So it gets called Dump Month. I think um, The Ringer, or maybe even back when it was Grantland, um, they coined the term Dumpuary, and it is Stappy. So I'm stealing it. Whatever. <laughs> who cares? <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. So that's why the theme is Dumpuary, semicolon, battle of the genres. It's a five week month. I'm going to pick five movies from five different genres and they're going to battle it out. I don't know what that means yet, but we'll figure it out as we go. Anthony is the guest today. After that long winded intro, how you doing? Ben, people say I must have been the class clown. I wasn't, but I sat next to him and studied him. 
<laughs> so there's always a tendency when we do comedies to just do lines from from the comedy and and the podcast sometimes does devolve into that. Fortunately, there's enough other context to talk about with Waiting for Guffman. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's a very funny movie to put that out there. But first, have you watched anything good recently? And I didn't mean to cut you off if you have a thought on that first too. No, 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 that's totally fine. I, there's not a lot of it's not that this movie has quotable lines. It's just the whole film is just funny as a concept itself. Yes, is that absolutely. The takeaway from it. Um, no, but that's what have fair. I watched recently? Um, I watched this. Uh, I don't know. I'm still watching Fargo. I, I finished that other show I told you about. Uh, yeah. Murder at the end of the world, but it, the, the ending was horrible. Um, was there a murder at the end? Yeah, there were several murders, but it's, oh. it's basically a AI commits the murders. Nice. And I was like, no, nah, this is too on the nose. So I don't know. I don't know. Kind of dis- it was kind of disappointing. But I watched this really good Amazon Prime uh, thriller called uh, The Devil's Hour. It has nothing to do with the devil at all, but it's kind of like a supernatural alternate dimension type of uh, thriller. Uh, that was very nice. good. Nice. Um, I still haven't seen Napoleon yet, so. Uh, okay. Yeah, that 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 keeps a, a pretty bizarre streak going of mentioning Napoleon in episodes. But hey, I liked it, so let's keep it going. <laughs> um, uh, and not just from you either. That's it's been a multiple different uh, yeah, yeah. people all talking Napoleon. The people, the the streets are talking and they're screaming Napoleon. Um, I watched Maestro. It's on Netflix now. It came out I think December twentieth. That's Bradley Cooper's new movie, his second movie, his follow up to A Star Is Born as a director. Um, I loved it. I, I didn't even realize until afterwards that it's more divisive than I, I thought it was. Cause I was watching it like, this is just plainly a very good movie. And yeah, I have some questions maybe about how he made it, but, um, I, I thought it was really, really excellent. And I mean, it's just on Netflix. So, you know, check it out. Um, my dad said that it was, uh, the most beautiful movies ever seen, beautifully made movies ever seen, but uh, boring as hell. Wow. That's, uh, I can't, I can't relate. I mean, it is beautiful. <laughs> I, I definitely agree with that part. I was not bored. Um, it's weird. I've seen a lot of criticism after watching it of like, Oh, this is just typical boring Oscar bait. And it's like sort of the opposite. It's not really even that much about Leonard Bernstein. And you figure, what people are expecting maybe is that it's just going to be basically a, a moving Wikipedia page, which is what a lot of the Oscar Beatty biopics devolve into, but it doesn't, it seems like it's pissing off the people who want that and are not getting it. And it's also pissing off the people who, who care a lot about Lenny. And um, I mean, he is one of the, you know, the biggest figures in popular culture of, of the 20th century in American popular yeah. culture, at least. And uh, sure. it's not, it's not really about him or what made him tick that much. It's, it's about his marriage and, um, Carrie Mulligan very purposely has first billing in the movie. She plays Felicia, uh, Lenny's wife. And I don't know. I thought, I thought it was excellent. Um, the camera moves in, in this is really cool. And, and, and like your dad said, it does look beautiful. <laughs> I'll agree on that. Also, point. Another uh, Leonard Bernstein from Lawrence, Massachusetts. Yeah, there's a there's a good amount of Tanglewood content, though, for for our fans oh, out nice. in Lenox, out in Western Mass. <laughs> Excellent. Can't forget about them. Shout out Lenox. Yeah. 
um, easily the best old age makeup I've ever seen in a movie. Um, Bradley Cooper plays Bernstein from, I, I think I've said Bernstein or Bernstein every other time. I think I'm alternating because I'm getting in my head about it. Leonard yeah. Leonard Bernstein. That's how I, I yeah. at least that's how okay. I've always heard it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just talking about how famous this guy is, but I, like I said, I'm getting in my head about it. I was in West Side Story in high school. I know how to say this man's name. Whatever. Um, and, uh, but it's on it's on Netflix, so no one it'll never be a knowable number how many people end up watching it. But hey, it was it was in theaters. It was in like um, I know it's playing up here at the Dedham yes. Community Theater. So yeah, or yeah, in theaters like that. I don't know if it made. Did, was it in like uh, big time theaters? No. No, very limited release and uh, yep. you know, small, small art house type theaters or right, like right, smaller right. independent theaters were showing it. So uh, without knowing where I'm going to cut back in, not sure how to make this transition work. Aside from let's talk about waiting for Guffman. Do you want to give it? Well, oh, sorry, I, I, I'm, I'm jumping the gun on the on the plot summary. I actually hadn't seen this before. I've seen a lot of Christopher Guest movies, um, but I I think in college threw on Waiting for Guffman and didn't finish it. I don't remember why. Maybe I was doing something stupid, probably, just playing the numbers. That's the most likely outcome. Um, so yep. I watched this movie all the way through before. How about you? No, I, I've, I've always wanted to see this film and I wanted an excuse to see this film. I never turned it on to watch it. Uh, I love waiting for Godot, the book. So uh, I watched it for the first time yeah. uh, earlier today, and uh, tremendous! Just a, what a fi- what a film! Real a real. I feel like it's a real writer's film. Do you want to give us a one minute plot summary? Yeah, I can do that. Go for it. Okay, so off, 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 off Broadway director Corky St. Clair <laughs> is leading the production of the show Red, White, and Blaine, a historical telling of the town of Blaine, Missouri's history as part of the town's 150th anniversary. Corky invited famed Broadway producer Mort Guffman to attend and critique the play, which heightens the intrigue of all the show's participants. Throughout the show, we meet Blaine's unique and eccentric cast of characters and get a glimpse into the lives they live. Corky makes the cast believe that they are going to go to Broadway on a positive review by Mort, Corky can't help but be the center of attention and takes the majority of the roles intended for the uber-masculine Johnny Savage, despite his very feminine mannerisms, after Johnny is told he cannot be in the play anymore by his very angry father, Bill Murray's brother. A seat, in reser- a seat is reserved for Guffman the night of the production, but Guffman never shows due to his plane being delayed by a snowstorm in New York, much like the title character in Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Godot. Three three months later, we see where all the cast landed, happily ever after. The end. So this is maybe even after what you'd say is maybe Christopher Guest's main calling cards. Um, so Spinal yeah. Taps '84, Spinal which Tap. he writes, and yep. obviously he's one of the main characters in, and then. Princess Bride, maybe you'd say, is like the other big pull from him, at least from the '80s. Um, and then this is like a full 10 years later, essentially. Uh, bet, don't forget best in show. I think that's after this, right? That's yeah, after this. Yeah. 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 Just, just in the terms of, so this, this is what, what I think for me, at least he's most known as, is these mockumentaries. So you, this, uh, best in show and mighty wind being the three main ones, um, kind of went back to the well. I, 
I also started watching and then bounced off of Mascots. That's a 2016 Netflix film in which he has a small role as Corky St. Clair, um, reprising his role. All the other main Christopher Guest players are in that too, but playing different roles. But uh, yeah, Christopher Guest, weird career. <laughs> because well, he's active, active starting in the 70s, but the thing that he's maybe most known for is either Spinal Tap, Princess Bride, mid-80s, or these mockumentaries, which are late 90s and thousands, pretty much, with all and the same the, people. The husband of Jamie Lee Curtis. That too. <laughs> uh, one of the longer continued partnerships in Hollywood, seemingly. Oh, and he's also yeah. technically a member of the House of Lords. Um, he's from New York, but I think through his father's side, he's a, what, a hereditary peerage or whatever. Yeah. So he's a lord <laughs> on top of that. Anyway, um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of multi-hyphenates that we talk about, but I guess that that's a pretty unique uh, profile. And also a very funny dude. Great actor. Well, this movie is, is the baseline. Well, his style, it's like watching, uh, you know, if you look, Parks and Rec, The Office, um, Shit's Creek. It, every oh, it's just this is the 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 foundation, the groundwork for all those shows. Yeah, it's um sort of inescapable. I think watching this now, if you are a Parks and Rec fan, especially because the first couple scenes are in a small midwestern town's town hall, and there's a guy telling you the history of the town, um, like a funny fictional history of the town kind of deadpan humor in a talking head with a invisible camera crew filming him while the camera pans over paintings of the town's history. You're like, Oh, this is so parks and rec just wholesale took this. Yeah. Completely ripped it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's that style. The office also. So anything that's mockumentary, uh, Brooklyn nine, nine, I mean, it's just, it's just the Christopher guest thing. And yeah, the comedy, if you like any of those shows, which a lot of people do, um, I mean, it's all coming from this. And obviously, like, like I said, this is more than a decade after Spinal Tap, speaking of documentaries. But as far as like the way it feels and the rhythm, it's, it's a lot of this. Uh, Speaking of Schitt's Creek, Eugene Levy in this one also. Oh, the the best, maybe, maybe the best character actor of, (laughs) of all time. Oh, he's so good. He's so funny. And he's so he has, funny for a guy who doesn't seem like he has a ton of range. He, he really does have a ton of range. He, he has so much range, so much range. I am. Um, and I, I'm assuming I, I don't know, maybe he's wearing contacts or something, but I guess he can just do that with his eyes. Like when he, when they goes sort of like he has the lazy eye, when he takes his glasses off thing, it, so it, that's gotta be a contact. It's gotta be right. It, it's so yeah. painful if he can just do that. But the, not only it's, this whole cast, what a, what a unsung hero cast. Yep. You have Christopher Guest, right? Fred Willard, another amazing character. RIP. David Cross, maybe one of, one of the most underrated comedians of all time as the UFO expert, just hilarious. Eugene Levy, his, his comedic partner and Catherine O'Hara, just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and even Bob Odenkirk makes a small appearance. Yeah. Um, the, the main recurring Christopher guest players, he's in his own movies. And then, uh, you already mentioned Catherine O'Hara, Eugene Levy, 
And uh, Parker Posey also would be the other big pull for this. Parker Posey, yep. And uh, the father of all the Arquette kids, David Ar- Lewis Arquette. Right. Yeah. He's really good in this too. Yeah. Excellent. He. He. I mean, everyone's good in this. Yeah, uh, we we just do a blanket. Everyone's in good in this. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see you sneak up on me there. Um, it's all good. It's uh plot wise. I feel like we, we maybe delved into the plot as much as we need to with, with your one minute plot summary, but just to, to sort of, I guess, foreground structurally how these work, um, Christopher guest and Eugene Levy are credited writers on it, but they, they essentially, it's more just like a story. And then a lot of the talking heads you can tell is improv. Um, and then the, the story is written out the basics of where they need to get in each scene, but it's, the advantage, and this is true of the sitcoms that have also aped this style, is that you get a lot of takes. Just let the camera roll. It's just a person looking at the camera sitting behind a desk, and they can just, you know, try out different things. And then in editing, you can find the funniest option. Yeah. Um, and it's good. It works. I mean, those shows obviously work. There's been so many of them, and a lot of them have been really successful, long-lived series. Um, yeah. The style just works. And this is 84 minutes, so you, you don't have to get through an entire... Uh, sitcom either <laughs> I, this movie flew by it it totally yeah. flew by but i don't feel I, I didn't feel like there was a lull or a dead point and I, I just found the whole thing to be so funny and so clever that i, I love the whole, i love the whole thing yes it's really good um I'm, i was thinking during it i don't know it's it's obviously very satirical and funny and and it's not like he's he's making fun of gay people i i would say but you probably christopher guest maybe doesn't play that character today which is probably wrong since he did in a 2016 movie but just in just in, in terms of it's a very flamboyant portrayal by a guy who is married to a woman so <laughs> yeah no no i agree with that because you know that that is a recurring joke in the in this film about he's married to a woman named Bonnie, but nobody's ever seen her. And then one, one of the townspeople actually says like, Oh, she must not be a very supportive person. She, I, no one ever sees her. She never comes out of the house. Well, cause yep. she doesn't really exist. <laughs> yeah. Pretty clear. Pretty early on where he talks about like, uh, you meet a lot of characters before you meet Christopher guests, Corky. Um, yeah. And then he's talking about like doing the dancing and that, that scene where he's dancing is it just absolutely killed. Oh, me. It's, oh it's so funny. That's so funny. It's I so I funny. just, my, my favorite scene of the whole film was when, uh, well, I, I really enjoy the play at the end uh, and I'll get to some of those, but, uh, sort of like in the middle and you, Eugene Levy's characters, they're at a bowling alley and he, he does that weird walk up to the bowling lane and then throws an immediate gutter ball. I just started yeah. dying laughing. Oh, that part was so funny to me. <laughs> Big, not to jump too far ahead, but the biggest laughs for me were the uh, my dinner with Andre action figures in the. <laughs> by the way, and and this isn't an original thought. You can see a lot of this sentiment on Letterboxd reviews. Um, if that store actually existed in New York today, he would make an absolute killing. Oh, he'd he'd be a multimillionaire. Yeah, it's a great store. <laughs> um, my. F- the thing I was most surprised about watching this all the way through is, is you're kind of bracing for the crushing reality of the, 
actual lack of talent that these people have and the, yeah. the high that they're on performing this. And it does come eventually. Um, but the level of support that Corky gets from the town was never not funny to me. Yeah. That it's not, you see this, you, you meet this character and you're like, Oh, this is obviously set up for everyone can see this guy's delusional. And he himself isn't that talented. And it's funny that he's, you know, the, the dentist that Eugene Levy plays does his audition and it's, it's, it's extremely uh, pedestrian. And they're like, Oh wow, he's really good. And you're like, okay, this guy's a fool. And, and like, clearly people know this and he's just sort of, you know, they're letting him kind of do this just to sort of humor him. But when he leaves the production about halfway through the movie, the desperation with which the, the mayor and the, in the town council try to get him back to do this, this silly play is, was, was very funny to me. Yeah. It's like, it's like he's uh, the film is sort of like he's Corky's not in on the joke. Everybody's in on the joke except Corky. But then, but I think that's, that's the genius of the film. It's, it is, it's Blaine, Missouri. And all they have is Blaine, Missouri. And even the founder of the town yes. is an, is an idiot who thought he was in the Pacific ocean, but he's really on the Missouri river or the Ohio river. He doesn't, it's not even salt water, but he smells salt. Uh, water. That's so funny. Yeah. The line about, uh, yeah, he, he tried to just pretend it was low tide for a little while, but yeah, <laughs> it's like, it, it was clear that they were just sort of, you know, in, in a plane. So, so they, they're putting on for the sesquicentennial, the 150th anniversary of Blaine, Missouri. Yep. They're putting on a play a slash music, actually, I guess a musical celebrating the town's history. Uh, written by um, Christopher Guest and returning podcast champion Bob Balaban, who we've mentioned. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom, he's the narrator, and I think he's popped up in another movie because I remember mentioning him in a different episode also. Um, but my memory's bad, and I can't remember that movie off the top of my head, but he's the conductor and the music teacher at the high school. Yeah, yep. Very, very angry or he's he's a little jealous of uh, Corky because he he really wants to be the production manager, but because he, he feels his musical chops is better than Corky's. But yeah, and um, he gives it to Corky anyway. Speaking of music, the there's a a number of fully staged musical numbers in this that are original music written for this by Christopher Guest, and we mentioned Spinal Tap before. Um, the music was written by Guest, Michael McKean, and Harry Shearer. Uh, Stool Boom is the greatest <laughs> original song in a movie I've ever heard. <laughs> it's, it's really it's, good. It's the rule. Everyone has a stool. <laughs> yeah. Chairs are for fools. I think that's part of it, too. Yeah. Um, chairs are out. Stools are in. It's uh, really good. Um, I liked all the songs, but yeah, Stool Boom is is definitely the standout number that the showstopper yeah, but- it's another it's another joke in the theme of like that this town it's just, just just like sort of a dumb boring midwestern town they don't even realize the joke that they're famous for stool you know which is another word for shit yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the music's actually good like it's not it's not like shitty like the I, the singing part of it I mean is you know obviously comedic but and the lyrics are funny too, because it's like 
juxtaposed with how dumb and how small the things that they're celebrating are. And then you look at the crowd and, and like the the love ballad between Corky and Parker Posey's character where they cut to that one bureaucrat who just really wanted to be in the show. Um, yeah. and he's like tearing up. Uh, it's, it just, it works really well once the performance is happening. Yeah. The, that That's the mayor, right? Or is he a count? He's a councilman or the mayor. So he's one of those two. I forgot. Right, yeah. Character. He's, I think that the one that's crying is just, uh, he just like works there. I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't even yeah. know if he's a councilman. Yeah. He's, he's one of the first people introduced. And I think he was like, you know, I don't know if he was the surveyor or that, that kind of thing. But, but to, anyway, to your, <laughs> Uh, to your earlier reference, I feel like uh, Bob Balaban is playing. He he's at his, his best Leonard Bernstein when he's conducting the orchestra. <laughs> he gets really into it, yeah. And, and that band is really good. They're, those guys are yes. really good. All right, that, that yeah, that's what I meant to say. The, the actual music that's happening is like is much more competent than you'd think. Uh, that, but that's another just comedic, just just comedic gold. They're all in tuxes and. Because yes. they're, they're trying so hard. They think that we're going to get on Broadway when we do this rinky-dink play about our town's 150th anniversary. That It's just it's just genius. Yeah. You um, mentioned the Beckett play, Waiting for Godot. And uh, much, much like the titular character in that, Guffman never actually shows up. And the fact that the title of it is what it is, you know that's going to happen. You know that that guy's not Guffman, that they keep cutting to that Corky goes and, and talks to after the show and invites backstage. And you're just kind of waiting for that hammer to drop because it's been, um, a sort of suspended reality while all these people are working on the show and it, and it kind of has become their lives. And the support from the town is, has been so great. And, and none of them realize that it is, uh, you know, probably sub, sub competent community theater level stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, they, none of them, they no nobody thinks that in this town. They think that they are truly all great actors, including, uh, Fred Willard and Catherine O'Hara who are fitness coaches. But, uh, Catherine O'Hara thinks her husband is just the best actor, uh, in the Midwest. Yeah. Or, uh, the, the, um, the vacation planners, right. Or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and he's had penis reduction surgery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, love how how long they let that burn. That he's had a a minor. So he's had minor surgery, and they mentioned it like I don't know three or four times before they yeah. get into it, so to speak. Yeah, and she says, "Oh, it's not so minor anymore." <laughs> uh, um. The UFO stuff is really random and it's one of those things that like feels like it was thrown in the first time it's get, it gets brought up. It feels like it was thrown in as just like some improv, but he does have, oh, but then there's like, oh, they made a prop of, of him with the photo of the thing. And then they cut to David Cross out in a field. Yeah. Which I, love. That's, the, I, th- I think that's the only scene David Cross is in. There's no other characters in that scene. So you're like, oh, they just found a field near David Cross and filmed that. Genius. It's so funny too. He's like, this is uh this this circle, the temperature never changes. It's always sixty-seven degrees with a forty percent chance of rain. It's extremely good. And this is after the Mr. Show run, I think. Is it all yes, because it's, it's early nineties, right? 
mid run, ninety five to ninety eight. Oh, nice! Right in his prime. Yeah, exactly. So mid run. <laughs> um, it came out between seasons two and three of Mister Show. Um, Genius, and that, and like you said, Odin Kirk is briefly there too. But the, the alien scene in the play gave me very um, Asteroid City vibes. <laughs> yes. Um, nothing ever happens on Mars, I think, is the song that yeah, uh, you, yep. Eugene Levy and uh, as a costume that obviously cannot fit through the prop that he's supposed to enter through. Um, it's oh God, it's just all good. Um Structurally, like like we said, it's eighty minutes long. It's just the thing had okay. The thing's set up. It's the hundred fiftieth thing. Corky's going to put on a thing. There's auditions. There's rehearsals. The show goes on. They're disappointed at the end. Cut to three months later, and okay, uh, Eugene Levy caught the bug, and now he's performing at retirement homes in Miami, and seemingly left his wife. Maybe uh, Parker Posey was on her way to New York from Missouri, but ended up at a different Dairy Queen in Alabama because her dad got out of prison. Um, the Catherine O'Hara, Fred Willard folks are in LA now and they're, they have non-speaking extra roles in, it looked like yeah. leather commercial. Yeah. They, and Corky's back in New York. Essentially, um, just, they're just extras in various commercials and stuff. It seems like. Yep. And Corky's back in New York. He has his own uh, memorabilia store, with which leads to... Uh, they probably just had a ton of fun. I wonder how many other things they were making jokes about in that store that they cut out of the final version of the movie. But it's um, really good. That, that part is... That's just so genius. The Remains of the Day lunchbox. Oh, that's, my God. I, that, I, wanted, I was dying. You know, kids don't like lunch that much, but when they get a <laughs> Remains of the Day lunchbox, they're... They're all about it or whatever he says. It's whatever he says is funnier. I'm not trying to ape it. So, <laughs> but still my favorite character is still Eugene Levy that cause, uh, and when he talks, when he's, when you first meet him and he's talking about his, uh, like great grandfather who was sort of like a very famous Yiddish comedian that I was dying laughing. Right. And then he, he has a famous song at the end when he's singing to the old, old folks in the, in the Jewish <laughs> home. My Bubby made a kitschka. Oh, what a tune. <laughs> I was, I was that part was so funny to me. That was, I was dying laughing. Oh man! Um, so this movie was actually shot in Lockhart, Texas, just about thirty miles outside of Austin. Apparently, Christopher Guest wanted to put a stool capital of the world sign up, uh, but was not granted permission to do so in the actual town where they shot it. Yeah, they they understood. Um. So yeah, a lot of improv. Guest shoot scenes for about ten minutes long, and just allows the improv to go organically. And he said this typically ends up with about sixty hours of film, and it takes him like a year to edit it down to ninety minutes or less. There's apparently a two-hour version of this movie somewhere. Oh, I would love to see that. With all all the sort of outtakes or uh, extra extra features, there's there's more songs. Um, there's more songs. I know. I don't know if they were all filmed, but they were recorded at least. 
Yeah, I read that there was uh, there's two extra there's other songs on the DVD called uh, "This Bulging River" and "Nothing Ever Happens in Blaine," which yeah. would be I would love to see those. That'd be hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. So this movie comes out; it's pretty well received. It doesn't make that much money. I mean, how could it? Um, premieres at a, uh, both Toronto and Boston film festivals in late '96, but goes wide in January '97. So it counts for this month. Uh, pretty good ratings. Peter Travers liked it. Roger Ebert gave it three out of four. Not bad. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Opening weekend, it made $37,000. That's funny. That's a shame. Uh, it only earned $2.9 million at the domestic box office against a production budget of $4 million. I would imagine that in the, what is it, 26 about to be 27 years since the movie came out. I imagine it has made its budget back. What, what could they have possibly spent four and a half million dollars on in this film? Hey, now only four, that doesn't count advertising and, you know, uh, distribution. Not um, true. I guess. So 97, I mean, there are people with names like Parker Posey is sort of like the it girl of American indie movies in the late yeah, 90s. That's true. And, yep. You know, Catherine O'Hara's post, uh, home alone and I don't I mean I guess Nightmare Before Christmas his whole thing is that it actually wasn't that big a deal at the, at the time but um, you know Home Alone was a big deal she'd been in two Home Alones so I don't know maybe yeah, that's it's, true but yeah um, that spaceship prop for the for the play probably cost a million dollars on its own if they shot on film, that the sixty hours of film that costs some money too. That's true. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I I guess I don't know. Um. So it obviously not nominated for any Oscars, but at the Indie Spirit Awards, uh, best feature, best male lead for Christopher Guest, and best screenplay for Guest and Eugene Levy, all nominated. But I feel like th- you could you could make this. This movie should be made. Uh, I'm surprised it has been made more often uh, today. Not not necessarily the, the same sort of like plot style and movies based like mockumentary movies. This in this style, I'm surprised more haven't been made. To be honest with you, no. We mentioned the the mockumentary style, but the the filming style. I I, I would I was reading that and thinking about Judd Apatow a lot because of his sort of cottage industry that sprung up in the thousands into the 2010s all of the judd apatow productions and the movies he directed himself um they all very improv heavy and he would film forever and he was shooting on digital so that's a little bit easier and then they just you know pick whatever their favorite version of lines were in the thing so that's all the movies that you know i don't know that that whole crew all those seth rogan movies and uh, James Franco before none of them wanted to work with James Franco anymore. All, all those movies. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah. Uh, it's weird that you'd think that this kind of thing would be more prevalent because it seems like it should be pretty cheap and easy to throw together. And like I just said on digital, you can shoot for that long and have all those alts. Um, I think that's the way a lot of Will Ferrell movies shoot. It's not like everyone's improving. I think it's more feral. Um, but they're just don't they just don't make comedies that much anymore. 
No, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, more so on, uh, also too on back to one of your points about the the because this is based on the the book, uh, or the is it a play? A play. Samuel yeah. Beckett's Waiting for Godot, right? Yeah. But why, um, like just this film is just so clever how to take something like because that that play is so serious and very heavy and the topics are, uh, wide ranging. It's just two people talking about a whole host of things like the meaning of life, maybe religion or relationships, friendships, stuff like that. And here we have, in this film, you have a bunch of weird, eccentric characters who think that they're much better than that they really are, talking about essentially nothing, or trying to play themselves up to the to the greatest possible extent. And it, it just makes for an excellent comedy. And I'm surprised it's such a unique telling, or, re, or retelling, or rethinking of Waiting for Godot. I'm just I was just so thoroughly impressed. That's what I loved about it most. I would I would I would pay tons of money to go see more movies uh like this. I wish there were more movies like this. That's that's for sure. I'm struggling to think of again, because there's been such a lack of uh this entire genre existing in, in a big way in movie theaters. Um I don't know that there's a stable of people that could, you know, group up to all because these people, the people in this movie are all in, I don't know, their fifties and sixties now I'm assuming. And, uh, I don't know, big ensemble comedy like this where everyone's funny and everyone's in a bunch of different things that are pretty prominent in their own right. I, I just don't know if that exists anymore. Yeah, no, you're right. Cause it, there isn't, there isn't a group of people like this that have been doing it for this long. Like Catherine O'Hara and, Eugene Levy, they were in Second City TV. Right, yeah. Exactly. And Fred Willard, and they just don't, they don't exist as a group that have been doing it together together for that amount of time. I think those days are over. Yeah. Those groups still exist. They just all do podcasts now, and they're not famous. So, I don't know. I listen listen to a lot of their podcasts. They're really funny. They're very successful podcasters. They make a living off of it. But a lot of people who go through those things, it's, they don't, um, I, I don't know. Like you wouldn't say the SNL cast could pull it together. That's, that's different. That's sketch. It's not improv, but you know what I mean? Like, the, yeah, there's used to be kind of feeder organizations for SNL and that was considered a big deal. And then that would turn into movies, but they just aren't comedy movies that get made anymore. It's sad. Right. Anyway, I guess Kevin Hart gets to make comedy, but you know, that's pretty much it. Will Ferrell isn't that prolific anymore. And also is 60 something, I assume. Right. Yeah. I guess the closest would be, yeah, you're right. The Will Ferrell movies with like Owen Wilson, Luke Wilson, uh, John C. Riley, John C. Riley. Uh, yeah. You boom chickens or something like that. Yeah. All of those movies, uh, if you get, you know, I had like the DVD of Talladega Nights and there's obviously alternate scenes for any time there's jokes in that movie on, on then, yeah. like, the special features of that DVD. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Christopher Guest movies. Uh, I mentioned we've mentioned The Mighty Wind and Best in Show. And obviously he's he's directed, acted, written a bunch of other things. But these three are sort of like the main doc mockumentaries that he directed since he's also in and wrote Spinal Tap, but I'm not counting that one. Um, have you seen Mighty Wind and Best in Show? Uh, this is No, I haven't seen either one of those. This is only the second okay. Christopher Guest movie I've seen. This one in Spinal Tap. And I have oh. to go watch Best in Show. I've, I've heard uh, nothing but great things. 
Yeah, I like Best in Show more than this, but I still like yeah. this a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. Best in Show is just kind of perfect, and it's even more of an ensemble that, uh, you know, it's it's all the same main people from this with with more. They add, like, Jane Lynch yeah. and Jennifer Coolidge, which is never a bad thing. Yeah, right, yep. But uh, I feel like he should get he should get credit for Parks and Rec. I feel like... I mean that that's uh, the one that feels most direct even though that itself is spinning off stylistically from the office which is also you know coasting on this Parks and Rec feels a lot more one to one with this movie I would say Yeah If this were music you would have to give him a credit for you know cuz they stole from from him but the film doesn't work that way Yeah exactly <laughs> sampling it'd be you'd get a sampling credit yeah. Ugh. Oh man, I'm on the Best in Show wiki now, and just like ugh, I haven't watched this in too long. It's a good, really good. Even in this film, uh, Paul Dooley's in it as the one of the UFO abductees. That and that part right. just doesn't make any sense. Well, it makes sense, but it, it's just thrown in there as just sort of like a comedic side piece that I, I just die in laughing at. Yeah. I feel like he should be older, but because it's what it's it's in the forties, so they should be like over fifty years later. But whatever, maybe he was a kid. Well, in real life, <laughs> he is not, he's still alive and he's ninety five. There you go. Um. Okay, so maybe he was like in his late sixties in that movie. He looked younger than that then. Whatever he Good. might have been. Yeah. Been. Um. Okay. Cool. Do you want to get to ratings? Yeah, let's do ratings. All right, on a scale of 0. 0.5 to 5, on any scale you're choosing, aside from stars, what would you give uh, Waiting for Guffman? I, I thought a lot about this one, but uh, I don't know. I, I'm torn between a bunch of uh, a bunch of ones, but what I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this film five out of five Corky St. Clair Bowl haircuts. It's a bad haircut. <laughs> um, I picked mine. I picked mine pretty early. Um, it's going to be four and a half out of five. My dinner with Andre action figures. Oh, me. nice. Nice. I was going to go with that. I was going to go with that too. <laughs> That's fine. If, if you went with, I figured if you went with that, I'd go with the remains of the day lunchbox. It's yeah. It, there's so many to choose from. Even, even if you said i Four four and a half out of five stools. I would that would have been perfect as well. I mean, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, everything's just funny, and it's all delivered deadpan. And then yeah, there's you know been twenty years of TV that has been riding on its coattails. <laughs> so whatever. No, you. Had, that's another. That's another great point. The the acting in this is so perfect. Everything is delivered expert deadpan comedy, which is some of my favorite comedy. You you just couldn't get any better than that. Yeah, I I agree. It's really good. Okay, so this is our comedic entrant into the battle of the genres. I feel like the that should tie into this month's question as well. So what what's your favorite genre? And then maybe we'll see if it goes in an interesting direction. And if not, I'll I'll tweak the question. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's tough. I I do like uh. No, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go comedy. I'm gonna go comedy. Oh, 
and and I and I can what foreground the the five that we're doing this month is comedy, horror, sci-fi, action, and romance. I still say comedy. I think a, okay. a comedy is like one A, but a one B would be sort of like an action slash film noir type of action mystery type of movie. Okay, cool. Um, action comedy. I mean, we've done True Lies. I feel like that's you're true. A big we, fan yep. too, right? <laughs> that's combining both both of my favorites. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, as we head into like peak awards season for, I mean, like I said, the the Golden Globes are on TV six days after this episode comes out. And then that's sort of the starting gun for that's what we're thinking of. Um, genre movies usually get excluded from the, uh, those stages. Uh, yeah. This year, Barbie will be there for sure. But yeah, um, normally, you know, so I, I just think it's a good time to also focus outside of, of that because genre gets disrespected horror movies. As we've talked about before, when we've done the few horror movies that have won some big awards, we talk about them because they're they're huge exceptions. You know, The Exorcist in 73, obviously another January release that we've already done. So we can't do it this month. Uh, Silence of the Lambs, also a January movie. But, you know, I, I like genre just in general. I will say I've I've become a lot more fond of horror in the last few years than I used to be because I'm a big scaredy cat. But it turns out once you watch them, they can't actually hurt you. Yeah, I no, I, I agree with you on that, too. Horror is... Uh, but I think the way it's been, it's done today is more, uh, psych- a lot of psychological thrillers yeah, are being done. At, those are very good. Yeah. It's not necessarily like slasher horror, but ones that make you think. It's funny. And apparently it's a big, like virtue signal thing because I can't tell you the amount of, um, dating app profiles I've seen that specifically mention a 24 movies, not yeah. horror. Oh, they but- don't say like horror movies, scary movies. They say a 24 movies. So. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> And, and that's the type of movies that they're making. Yeah. And they make genres movies and they make uh, you know, comedy too. But uh, to your point on genres, like yeah. I, I, I know I've said this before, my favorite movie of all time is Casablanca, but my favorite, the best when a comedy is done, right. Like Ace Ventura, pet detective literally laughed the whole movie through. That's a, that's a excellent comedy from start to finish. And I, and I feel, I feel waiting for government is an, also an excellent comedy. And, and you're right. They just don't make, comedies yeah. like this anymore just that even bar i know barbie's considered a comedy i don't i didn't think it was that funny i thought it was a great movie but i didn't think it was funny it's, it's different and it's it i yeah. mean it, it I, I think it's pretty funny but i see what you mean it's not a it's also an adventure movie and it's about stuff right and this movie isn't like about stuff no <laughs> yeah it's just funny you throw it on for 80 minutes you know barbie's like two hours and 20 minutes long right exactly um okay so i th- I thought of so what's your favorite what what do you think they need to make more of and then maybe what's your least favorite genre that can be sort of like the the triple dip for the question so you'd say favorites comedy they should make more comedies is there any genre that you really bounce off of uh I, i'm not a, i'm not a huge fan of like the sub genre of slasher films um, and I think rom, I enjoy a good rom-com every once in a while. I think those are fine, but I think they're very predictable, but I think I, they're yeah. not bad, but I wouldn't, uh, I'm not, I don't think they should make any less of them. Yeah. That's another one. That's, that's very rarely in theaters. There's one right now, the, uh, Sydney Sweeney and guy from Top Gun movie, um, Powell, something Powell. 
right? That guy, you know, yeah, who I'm talking yeah, about. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, um, Colin, different. No, Sean. <laughs> that's something like that. That's oh yeah, yeah. Secretary <laughs> of Defense, different guy. That's um, right. Glenn, Glenn Powell. Glenn. I normally uh, know is I'm bad at names today. I'm normally so good at names. It's like my favorite thing. Um, I like Glenn Powell a lot. So he's, uh, you know, so that's an actual rom-com that's in theaters right now. I don't know how it's being received. It just came out. Anyway, um, I, I would, I would generally agree with that, except I, I have been enjoying slashers lately, but like bad slashers. I'm not into gore that much. Yeah. 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 Um, early thousands or maybe even into the mid thousands when like the, the real extreme kind of just like tortury horror movies were coming out. Yeah, and, those I'm not really a big fan of. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I feel like that's a good kind of genre sort of taste for for the question this month. I don't know if you have any other yeah. ideas, but that's kind of what I'm going to go with, I think. <laughs> no, I think that's perfect. Cool, man. Anything else we should cover? Uh, no, I, I highly recommend this film. I, pe- I think people should uh, really watch it for a nice throwback comedy that's very the very on point in the 90s I lo- the set is awesome the costume designs are awesome this movie just uh hits all the high marks yeah we were saying that it looks like it shouldn't cost four million dollars but uh, everything is perfect everything is exactly the way it should be for both being like a somewhat believable location or at least a cohesive location for these people to all exist in 100 um, percent every there's not not a bum note played in the entire thing. Nope. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Okay. Uh, well, Anthony, thanks for being on. I'm about to go eat some kitschkas. <laughs> See you next time when we do a different genre. I actually don't know what's coming next, but we got we got some pretty good ones planned. Uh, you find our stuff on Linktree. That's linktr.ee slash late to the movies. Just spell it out. No numbers needed. Yeah. Listen next time. See ya. See ya. Thanks, Anthony. I'll tell I'll tell Craig to stop. <laughs>